Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to SEC Football Unfiltered, our podcast from the USA Today Network. I'm Blake Topmeyer. Alongside John Adams, we're going to be talking, uh, wrapping up about some some spring games from this past Saturday, in which a couple of transfer quarterbacks uh, underwhelmed. Also going to be taking a, a look at some comments made recently uh, by former LSU coach Ed Ogeron and uh, sort of putting the heat on new LSU coach Brian Kelly. But first, get into a little Heisman conversation looking at some some recent odds and projections for favorites in the uh, the upcoming Heisman race uh, maybe the most well-known sports award I'm not sure if it's the most fairly decided but it's certainly recognizable and uh, John you got any money flying around out there for uh, for Heisman picks for for this season honestly Blake I don't have any money flying around for anything no just got back from vacation. Just bought a new car, so there's no money flying around here. What'd you buy? And and, and let's clarify: Did you receive an NIL deal for this car? I did not. I I spent a couple of weeks trying to find a new car in Knoxville and was unsuccessful. Uh, there just aren't any new cars. I made it my way up to Morristown. Was looking at used cars, and I there was a uh, a Kia. They are a new Kia Forte. I've used many rental cars through the years, and I like that car. So I just bought it on the spot as soon as I saw it. Probably didn't get the best deal, but it was a new car. And I really didn't want to get a used car, but I didn't think I had a choice. Which will last longer, you or the Kia Forte? That's not even close. Maybe you shouldn't yeah, make that key, prediction. We want to at least have you last through the end well, of this podcast. Here's the thing. I mean, I still have my 20-year-old Honda Accord sitting out to the side of the driveway. I can't let that thing go. I was convinced that car would outlast me. I had no doubt about that. And then engine and transmission, uh, kind of a, a double knockout punch there. I could probably sell it for parts. Heck, I could probably sell it to somebody to drive. People are so desperate for cars. But uh, I just can't let it go. It's 20th anniversaries in June. So it's just staying off there to the side. I'm but, just envisioning five years from now, your old Honda Civic or Honda Accord, whatever you said it was, sitting on bald tires, maybe sitting on cinder blocks, no no registration, you know, no plates but you're just hanging on to that Honda. It looks so tacky. You see these go by somebody's yard and there's these old cars just piled up there now. And now I'm one of these people just. How tall is your grass? It's actually too talk, tall right now. Uh-huh. Talk yeah, to tall wife. grass, cars not being used. Yeah. You are uh, headed down a path. Yeah, I don't, I don't really want to say where that ends, but you've seen the photo. So perhaps you underrated your uh, your longevity and overrated your your Honda's longevity. So that'll be give us a perfect segue here to underrated and 
and overrated Heisman odds or Heisman hopefuls for here. You know, it's this, these odds are, are from, you know, recently distributed by Bet Online. That's an offshore sports book. So do with this information uh, what you will. We're not ma- making any recommendations that you jump into gambling, but these are just for reference. So for, for our reference here, some recent some recent odds offered by this sports book have actually listed not the reigning Heisman winner, Alabama's Bryce Young, as the favorite to win in 2022. But however, Ohio State quarterback C.J. Stroud is in fact its favorite to win the Heisman. I want to get into some some more of these odds in a minute here, John. But what do you think about that right off the bat? That the reigning Heisman winner, who's going to be playing for the preseason number one ranked team, Alabama, is not, in the opinion of this sports book and some others, the favorite to win the Heisman Trophy this year. Blake, I think that says more about. Uh... Ohio State's receiving core compared to Alabama's and maybe the quarterbacks themselves. Normally, a returning Heisman winner is a fav- would be listed as a favorite, but I'm not sold on Alabama's receiving core. I know they added Jermaine Burton from Georgia, and uh, they also lost a guy, a uh, former five-star recruit. But no, I, I can see, I can see that, and and C.J. Stroud. I mean. He he had a he really came on last year toward the end of the year had a great receiving course some of those guys are back Ohio State is always will have plenty of talent so I I'm not uh, jumping to the defense of the SEC reigning Heisman winner on that some some SEC fans might feel uh, slighted by that but no it, it makes sense to me and you should make sense when you're setting betting lines you know the other thing that that I think about here, and you make good points about the the supporting cast being important to a quarterback's Heisman chances, and I I agree with you there. I, I think because of what uh, Bryce Young lost in his receiving room, and and then you you think about what Alabama has at running back. I think they're they're better stocked at running back than they are at wide receiver. Uh, I don't know that that necessarily sets up well for for Bryce Young's hopes of repeating. But I also think of something else when I think about these Heisman odds, I always think about what's going to be the voters psyche. You know, what are they going to be looking for in, in, in this year's Heisman winner? And I think for whatever reason, I think voters don't like to vote for the same guy two years in a row. I mean, we've only had the one repeat Heisman winner and Archie Griffin of Ohio state, you know, Tim Tebow, returned after winning the Heisman as a sophomore, much like Bryce Young's scenario here, returns after winning the Heisman as a sophomore and had a monster junior season, but did not repeat as the Heisman. And that was 2008. It was Sam Bradford won that year, right? And it was Tebow's junior year. Had basically just as good of season, but he set the bar so high as a sophomore, it was like he couldn't surpass his own bar. And I think... You know, voters think like, well, was he as good as last year? Well, it shouldn't be about that. You give the Heisman to the best player. But I think in the mind of some voters, if Bryce Young maybe isn't quite as good as he was last year, they'll try to find a reason to vote for somebody else. Well, I think Tebow is a great example of that. I think the media likes the likes the rising star. I mean, and Tebow was truly a rising star playing excelling as a freshman freshman in a in a sort of a 
a package role offensively, but a vital member of Florida's national championship 2006 team. Then he comes back in 07 with not as much talent around him, and it's just spectacular. Uh, you couldn't deny him a he you couldn't deny him a Heisman in 07. He just he was doing everything and running all over people, and he was kind of a phenom. And and I think the media was quickly infatuated with him, understandably. Then the next year he comes back, he's surrounded by talent. His stats aren't as prolific, but look how the season played out. He was the best player on the best team. And then if you watch the national championship game, and I'm not sliding Sam Bradford. He had a great year. He's a great college quarterback. But Tebow outplayed Bradford in that game. He made the big plays to win that national championship game, albeit after the Heisman uh, vote had been decided. Uh, that's the story for another day. I don't know why they don't wait till the end of the whole season. But the Tebow story was told so much that you needed something new. And this goes back, uh, Tennessee fans, I think, can relate to this. Peyton Manning never won the Heisman at Tennessee but he was certainly the favorite going into his senior year after great sophomore and junior years. The Manning story had been told so much. It had become tiresome. People wanted something new. The Manning family. I mean, it's a, you know, it's the first family of college football, even more so now yet uh, people just kind of got tired of Peyton Manning. And I think they looked, for things to find wrong with him. What you're saying here, we could take this Tebow comparison even a step further of, you know, yes, he he had this great season as a junior on the heels of his Heisman, but it just wasn't good enough to repeat. And then you mentioned, though, that Tebow got arguably a better prize in winning the national championship that year in 2008, beating Sam Bradford in Oklahoma in the national championship game. You think about it this year. I could see a scenario, it was very plausible, where C.J. Stroud wins the Heisman. You know, the narrative's all set up. Ohio State doesn't go to the playoff last year, so they're on this revenge tour. Uh, you know, C.J. Stroud has a big year, leads him to the playoff. Stroud obviously was was very public and did not think he deserved, he, he received the respect he deserved from Heisman voters last year. Shot, thought he should have finished higher and say, okay, maybe he's got voters' attention now. And they say, okay, Stroud wins the Heisman. And then you can see it, right? Alabama's got the best team in the country. Bryce Young, who did did not get to, to win a national title this past season, much like Tebow did not in his Heisman winning year as a sophomore. But Young gets a different prize. He beats C.J. Stroud in the national championship in, in Ohio State. He gets the national championship trophy as a junior to go along with that Heisman trophy he won as a sophomore. You really, I mean, you can, you can play it down the line and you, you can really see the comparison there and, and how it's very plausible that this, this all could play out much like it did in that, that Tebow Sam Bradford scenario. Yeah. And Blake, you mentioned it. I think it's a, it gives the media a different theme and revenge tours always play well. He felt as though he were slighted. You know, maybe he was. I, I thought he. I thought, however, he didn't do as well early on, and there there were some early games where he wasn't as good as he became later. So I think that had something to do with it. But yeah, it, it's all set up for him. But then you could, as you pointed out, you could also said set up for uh, Alabama. I still think 
I still think out Bryce Young will be challenged by his supporting cast because not just he not only loses his top two receivers, he loses his top his top blocker, his left tackle, his guardian on the offensive line in Evan Neal, who'll be one of the top five guys drafted. I think he has a challenge ahead, but who knows? Maybe it'll go the other way. Maybe he will rally this uh, revamped receiving core and develop even further. Uh, I mean, I don't think his play will get any worse, certainly. I think it'll be really interesting setting up those two guys. And then I think we have a third guy, though. You're looking for good Heisman stories, compelling Heisman stories. I mean, what's better than Caleb Williams? I agree. I I think he could really be a value pick. You look at a lot of the sports books, he's listed third. You know, some books have Bryce Young, number one, and Stroud, two. Others, you know, as we've discussed, have Stroud, one, Young, two. But pretty consistently, you see Williams there third. And if you're into the sports gambling side of things and actually throwing some money around, it does seem like he's a value pick. Um, where you could get some return on your investment. And, and like you said, there's the story there, and, and we know Lincoln Riley produces Heisman winners at, at quarterback. Oh, I, I think it's all set up. And here, here's an, we've been talking about storylines. Here's another good one. The established powers return, possible return to prominence. USC football hasn't been what it's supposed to be traditionally. Uh, Spencer Rattler goes in there, high-profile guy. It's kind of like a repeat of revisiting the Pete Carroll era. Things are in line. He's getting big-time offensive players. So that is going to be a much-publicized team. The spring game was on ESPN. So, yeah, it's kind of set up for Caleb Williams, and he seems to be a guy who thrives in the spotlight. If I were making a bet, in fact, you gave me an idea. I might go sell that 20-year-old Honda Accord that's sitting out there on the side of my driveway in the high grass. Might sell that for to an unsuspecting customer for about $3,000 and betting it on, and bet every bit of it on Caleb Williams. There you go. It's like found money anyway. I mean, that Accord's <laughs> sure. dead to you. I, Oh, well, not yeah. really, though. I mean, it, it does seem like sentimentality. Or there, there's you, sentimentality, but I could uh, the odds. What were the odds again on Caleb Williams? I believe it's uh, fifteen to two. So what is that? Seven and a half to one. Seven and a half. That's over over twenty thousand dollars. I could come away with pay off yeah. that uh, Kia. Uh, easy money. Easy money. How about a, a a guy that you think is maybe being um overrated? in this Heisman conversation and then someone who could, uh, someone else who could be a real value pick. Uh, you get some good odds on and you could really turn that old bum Honda Accord into some big time, big time dollars. Who are you staying away from on the Heisman board and who are you gravitating to as a value buy? The bet online lines, well, there are a couple of things that kind of stunned me. Jameer Gibbs, a transfer running back from Georgia Tech. Alabama, Alabama. Yeah, yeah. I, I know Alabama has a good running game, but I think it will be a running game by committee. He may very well, in fact, be the best running back. But man, I don't see him as uh, in line as good as a very. He's to me, he's not like Derrick Henry or a Najee Harris. Somebody who's just going to dominate. Maybe I haven't seen enough of him, but but that kind of surprised me. Also, probably. 
the worst bet on that list was I thought was uh, Georgia's running back, Samir White. Who's headed to the NFL. He's headed to the NFL. <laughs> so if you're looking for the ultimate long shot, I guess he's your pick. He was right number 44 on the list. And, I mean, That's fantastic. You think any unsuspecting gamblers are, are putting some money on Zamir White to, to win the Heisman? Yeah. Maybe the first guy ever from the NFL to win Heisman, Heisman Trophy. I'm not I'm not sure that guy can make it in the NFL. He, he's had some severe injuries, but, boy, that was – when I first saw that, I thought, gosh, I thought he was gone. He's still plugging away. Yeah, I think Gibbs is a good one, and, and not because – he is not going to have a big season for Alabama. I, I absolutely think he is. He's got home run speed. You know, he's a little bit different from, he's a lot of bit different, I guess, from, from some of those past Alabama running backs that we remember from Nick Saban's dynasty, the, the big, powerful, hand him the rock 30 times a game. I mean, Jameer Gibbs is, as I said, he has big playability, has speed. He can catch passes out of the backfield. Uh, and I think he'll also be comfortable between the tackles too, but that's that's not necessarily his calling card. But I just think, A, it, it's hard in this era for a running back to win the Heisman. And I think if someone gets in that conversation, it's probably going to be like a Big Ten running back or, or B. Jen Robinson from from Texas, you know, could could get in that conversation. And And I just think with Alabama, there's so many stars – you know, whether it be between Bryce Young or even on the other side of the ball, you know, Will Anderson's probably going to get some conversation this year, even though it's really, really difficult for a defensive guy to, to win the Heisman. I, I think it's going to be hard for, for J- Jameer Gibbs to, to bust through. And I'll throw another one that, out there that that is is ranked lofty on a lot of these Heisman boards that I just don't quite get is, is Jackson Dart at Ole Miss. And we'll get into him more in, in a little bit and what we saw from him in the spring game. Uh, last weekend, but I think that's putting a lot of a lot of stock in in a largely unknown transfer. I mean, it's not like he was just lighting it up at Southern Cal. He showed some promise, but um, I mean, we're not even sure yet whether he's going to win the starting job at, at Ole Miss. And and he's ranked really high on some of these Heisman boards. And I just I don't I don't get that one. No, that was very surprising. Another one that surprised me was Anthony Richardson at Florida. Watching Richardson last year when he he was really made his debut, he played had a few plays the previous year, but just a looked like a highlight waiting to happen. I mean, spectacular runner ran like a four hundred meter guy, his long legs just eating up ground. He made one throw rolling to his left through deep downfield, hit a receiver well covered just before he went out of bounds. I forget against which team, but he was one of the best throws I saw all year. So there's no denying Anthony Richardson's ability, but he really has issues with durability. He's been, you know, he just keeps getting these injuries. And as he played more, he didn't look as sharp to me as I saw more of him. And for him to be ranked seventh on that bet online list, that I don't know that that that's to me doesn't look like a good way to win money. Now maybe he has the ability, but another thing against him, he doesn't have the supporting cast. There's nothing else on Florida's offense that say that says, "Wow, I really like that offensive line," or 
man, the Gators are stacked at running back or, whoa, what a receiving core. None of that. I, I don't see how it's possible to list him that high. And, and the other thing, John, is although you don't need to be a star player on the number one ranked team to win the Heisman, I also think you need to be on a pretty good team. And I, I just think we've talked in past episodes of this pod. I, I think it's going to take Billy Napier some time to get it rolling at Florida. He inherited less than what Brian Kelly inherited at LSU. And so, I mean, this could be like a seven and five Florida team. Well, the quarterback of a seven and five Florida team is not winning the Heisman. Um, that could be a six and sixty. The 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 days of a a seven loss Notre Dame running back Paul Horning winning winning a Heisman have been long, long gone. I mean, that was way back in nineteen fifty six or something, I think. And uh uh so, yeah, I just don't see it. Um, I, I don't see that at all. I mean, when you talk about if you're looking for dark horse quarterbacks, honestly, I, I like Spencer Rattler better. He's kind of the he's kind of the forgotten man uh, in college football because he lost his job to Caleb Williams in the middle of last season. But he's had great stats. He had a good year bef- the year before that, and he lost out to or perhaps the best quarterback in the country. So he's got a he's in a different situation now with Shane Beaver in South Carolina, and he's got a good supporting cast. I would certainly favor him, as I would Hendon Hooker at Tennessee, over these other SEC quarterbacks that are given more that are considered a better Heisman pick, uh, Richardson, and then Jackson Dart at Ole Miss. I mean. Hendon Hooker had a really good season last year in his first at Tennessee. Showed markedly more skills than he did at Virginia Tech. And now you have Spencer Rattler, who's definitely acquitted himself more than than Jackson Dart or um, Anthony Richardson. So I don't I don't really understand the quarterback rankings. But, yeah, I uh, agree. I I would if I were to to take a flyer on on a quarterback, I would put Rattler and Hooker ahead of Dart and Richardson on, on a Heisman pecking order. And I'll put one out, more out there, John, because you know, you know Arkansas is my sleeper pick. I'm, I'm, I'm predicting that big season from the Razorbacks, the dreaded me predicting a, a sleeper pick for them, as you've reminded me. My pick of Missouri last year was so bad. But perhaps I get this one right. Perhaps Arkansas has got like a Sugar Bowl team on its hands. I think K.J. Jefferson... I mean, you know they're going to let him sling it around. He's going to run a lot. He's going to put up you know, big dual threat numbers, throws a good deep ball. We saw that last year. They're up-tempo, so he's going to throw plenty of passes in a, in a game. Uh, I think he's a, a long shot. You can probably get him at like 50-1 to 1 odds, depending on your sports book. You could, you could really turn that Honda Accord into some – I mean, that'd be retirement money. You'd be on the beach you know, if, if KJ, KJ Jefferson – wins a Heisman. And then one more is Will Anderson from Alabama. I know defensive guys don't win the Heisman, but he's going to be talked about all year as being, I think, the preeminent defensive player. He was a preeminent defensive player last year. It was a joke that Aiden Hutchinson, as as fine of a finish as he had to the season, it was a joke that he was invited to New York and, and Will Anderson wasn't. Will Anderson topped my Heisman ballot. It's the most domi- dominant season we've seen from a defensive player since Ndamukong Sue. Uh, I think he's going to be among the finalists this year. I think 
I think voters will be slow to realize they'll, they'll wake up. Oh, hey, we should have had this guy in New York last year um, and, and vote for him this year. But I don't think he'll win, but I do think he he very likely could be among the finalists and, and could be a long shot, like, you know, 40 to 50 to one odds type guy. If you want to take a flyer on somebody. Blake, you can go back through Alabama football Lord, all the great all-American future NFL stars, um, it linebacker. I can, I can go all the way back to Leroy Jordan, uh, but guys like Cornelius Bennett and Derek Thomas, who came along in the '80s, actually played together briefly on the same team. Some of the greatest linebackers in college football history, and he's right in there among them. What impressed me so much about him was. Those stats were dazzling, those tackles for loss, the way he just kept making plays. And you know, as the season went along, every offensive coordinator, the first thing he does when he looks at Alabama's defense is, okay, what are we going to do with Will Anderson? So he's accomplishing this despite all the attention he's getting. Think about all the the really good defensive players uh, that go through the SEC. and, and when their numbers will 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 not be that great and you'll and those their their less than stellar stats will be will be excused because you say well he's got two and three guys blocking him all the time i don't know if anybody ever has three guys actually blocking him but you hear that a lot on tv so but will anderson i mean i watched him get double teamed and he kept making plays he reminds me of former Georgia defensive lineman David Pollock, mm-hmm. who is just so driven to get to the football. He just is so relentless. I love watching players like that. Uh, he he just won't be denied, and he never seems to get frustrated. I, he, I know he has to be feeling a little bit, but he just keeps coming. He said, okay, you're going to block me with two guys. You're going to scheme me. So what? I'm still going to get you. Man, he does get his man way more often than not. It's kind of humorous. After Alabama's spring game, uh, Nick Saban was sort of referencing the. He's asked sometimes, "Well, what could Will Anderson do to get better? What What's the next step for him? What can he improve on?" And and I'm paraphrasing here, but Saban uh, essentially said, "Well, I guess he could be a little better in pass coverage." but why would we drop him into pass coverage? (laughs) (laughs) You know, it's like he's either going to be trying to wreak havoc on a ball carrier in the backfield, or they want him rushing the quarterback off the edge. Like they're not dropping him into pass coverage because he just, um, he's a monster in in opponents backfields. And and we saw him live there. And the thing that impressed me so much about, about him was it wasn't just the sack numbers. You know, a lot of times you see guys with like, you know, double digit sacks, they'll have 40 tackles. No, I mean, Anderson, you know, he was piling up 10 tackles plus per game. He was getting tackles for losses of, of guys in the backfield. It was, it's not just the sacks. And then you have to forget, you can forget about him on the, on the rundowns. He's, he's a factor every play. And and that's why I think he's going to be, you know, among uh, the Heisman conversation all, all year. I wonder how many false starts he causes. I mean, you got to be jumpy going against that guy. And over the course of the season, we see it happen all the time. Offensive linemen get bunged up. They miss games. They miss plays. And you bring in a backup. And you bring in a backup against somebody like Will Anderson, and they just get terrorized. Uh, yeah, it's a it's a horrible mismatch. It's, it's a mismatch against 
normal starters often, but you put a backup in there and you're in big trouble. John, we were discussing earlier Jackson Dart. I want to get into um, some of the the quarterback competitions that are going to continue this summer because you know I watched both LSU's spring game and the Ole Miss spring game on Saturday, and I know it wasn't that very long ago on this podcast we said spring games are not important, and I'll stand by that. They're not, but they did offer me an opportunity to see with my own eyes what these guys bring to the table. Uh, because let's face it, you know, you and I live in the, the eastern time zone. We're in SEC land in the south. We don't make our living watching Pac-12 football. We see some of it, but it's not what we're doing on on our Saturdays. We're we're glued to the SEC for the most part. And so you got to look at a guy like Jackson Dart coming in, um, highly discussed, highly hyped from USC. And you got Jaden Daniels, multiple-year starter coming in from Arizona State. And you think, okay, then, you know, LSU and and Ole Miss have found their starting quarterbacks. That's not what I saw on Saturday. I saw at LSU, I think this is a three-man race. It had been discussed, I think, largely as a two-man race between sixth-year senior Miles Brennan and Jaden Daniels. Well, Garrett Nussmeyer was the best quarterback on the field Saturday, and you know he's someone who got some experience last year as a true freshman. So I think it's a three-man race at LSU, and I think at Ole Miss we were too quick to assume that it would be Jackson Dart and not Luke Altmyer, the the returner, uh, who, of course, replaced Matt Corral after Corral's injury in the Sugar Bowl against Baylor. Had some struggles in that game, but that's a really hard situation to step into. An in-game sub against one of the best defenses in the nation. I liked what I saw from from Altmyer more than, than Dart on Saturday, and I liked what I saw from Nussmeyer and Brennan more than what I saw from transfer Jaden Daniels. So what do you think? I mean, did we just fall victim to the shiny new object here of, of the transfers coming in, or am I falling victim of putting any stock in a spring game? Well, yeah, I do have problems with putting any stock in a spring game. However, I also think there's a really great tendency now with transfers to overrate them. It's as though this extra player has fallen out of the sky into your lap and you just uh, oh man, they got this guy. And, uh, you know, he, he started somewhere else. But when you look at the Arizona state quarterback, Jaden Daniels, passing stats have declined. He's a really good runner. And Brian Kelly does like a running quarterback, which miles Brennan isn't, but miles Brennan has an NFL arm. And I think Nussmeyer has show, has shown ability too. Now, I, it, when when they met, and I I'm you know I'm guilty of the same thing, I, because here's how we look at it: we say, well, they obviously wanted this guy to transfer there, so that tells me the coach isn't happy with what he has, and maybe this ha- maybe this player fits his offense better. On the other hand, maybe Brian Kelly's thinking. Well, I'm not sure if these guys are the best fit for my offense. So I'll take a flyer on this guy who a running threat who may be effective enough at a pa- as a passer with what should be one of the best receiving cores in the country. Um but I think it's I, I just really doubt he's going to win that starting job now. Uh just in looking at it 
the more I think about it and the more I look at those stats and declining passing skills, uh, I would be kind of surprised if he wins that job. I mean, Brennan's arm is big time, and he's got some big-time receivers, I think, real potential there. That, to me, Brian Kelly might have to readjust his thinking on this, what he wants his offense to look like in his first year at LSU. Um, and again, with uh, you mentioned Luke Altmaier at Ole Miss in that bowl game. I don't see how you can be critical of a performance in that setting. I mean, you lose your number one guy against a great defense, and this guy's supposed to just step in. He, he had very little experience, but just watching him throw the ball, I thought he had a nice release. I, I thought he had a pretty smooth – he looked like he could be a potentially really good passer, and we know what Lane Kiffin's history is with quarterbacks. He's a quarterback whisperer, and so I don't think we can give the job to Jackson Dart yet. What do you think those quarterback whispers are whispering in the ear when they're doing all that that quarterback whispering? Um, maybe something like uh, "Make me look good." Don't throw an interception. I've got I've got a reputation on the line. <laughs> a quarterback whisper. Who do you who do you think came up with that? How did they come up with a quarterback whisper? I don't know, and, and I don't usually use that term, but it's just kind of seeped into the seeped into the brain. It it's really like, has. It's like the arm talent thing. For the longest time, I thought I'm not going to use the phrase arm talent. It's such a TV term, you know, just passing ability or a big arm. Say that, but you know what? That's that's really kind of seeped in too. When you just want to say a guy's got got a good arm and maybe he's got to figure some other parts of the position out, you know, the vision yeah. and, uh-huh. and, uh, all that stuff. Well, he's, well, he's got arm talent. Well, you know? why, why do, uh, doesn't everybody have some degree of arm talent? Hey, I picked up, uh, I picked up a morsel of food with a fork today. Uh, that's arm talent. Um, yeah. The one that bothers me more than anything else is score the basketball. Oh my gosh. What what else would they be scoring? I mean, I know. I mean, how did that ever, ever penetrate our language? Score the basketball. He scored. It's, it's simple. You know, someone who's, uh, doing, living his best life, John seems to be Ed Ogeron. The man's, uh, man's living that buyout life. He got 17 million from LSU to, Say thanks for your services, thanks for the title, but we've we've seen enough. And he's he's doing a little bit of a of a tour here recently. We saw earlier this spring he headed up to Notre Dame to watch a practice and chat up the players and meet with new Irish coach Marcus Freeman, which I thought was just a fantastic troll job. You know, Brian Kelly leaves Notre Dame, it gets hired to replace Ed Ogeron, and Ogeron's up there at Notre Dame telling those guys, "Well, you'd be fine. You'll win the national championship here in the next couple of years." I mean, that's just fantastic stuff. And then Ogeron goes on a Jacksonville, Florida radio station last week. And he's asked about, you know, LSU's championship prospects here in the next few years under Brian Kelly. And here's what Ogeron said. He said, quote, it's LSU. You should get the top players here. We've got a great tradition, so you should be able to win the national championship. Now, you're not going to win it every year, but you should be able to win it. In three years, you should be able to do it. I mean, that's just, he's just setting the bar right there. Like basically saying, Brian Kelly, you got three years, clock's ticking, buddy. Uh, You got to get it done. And at first I thought, 
well, this is this is just Ed O trolling his successor here, you know. But as you go back and look at it, Ogeron won a national championship in his third season, his third full season as LSU's coach. Les Miles won a title in year three. And Nick Saban, who got this whole thing going, yeah, he needed four years to win a national championship at LSU. But what he inherited um, was was pretty pitiful, as certainly as compared to what Brian Kelly or, or others have in, inherited at LSU. So is that just Ogeron trolling? Or, or could you see where I, I'm saying here? Like, actually, I think that's a, a pretty reasonable ball, bar to say, hey, you're getting paid 10 mil a year. You need to win a, a national title, and it's LSU. It's a great job. Do it in three years. Yeah, it, it's hard for me to put too much stock in what Ed Orgeron says. I mean, the guys, what did he end up with? How many million? Was it uh, 17 million or 17? Yeah, I mean, he could afford a shirt, but you still see him running around shirtless much of the time. He's very proud of that barrel chest. I I hate to break it to you, but he's not 19 anymore. I mean, he could put on some clothes every now and then. Uh, But you know what? I I still give more credence to something he said than Les Miles, who barely uttered a coherent coherent sentence his entire time at LSU. So I think Ed Orgeron has absolutely no regrets. I think he is probably going to enjoy being away from football as much as any former national championship coach. I don't think it's going to be eating away at him that he lost the job or that he uh, he's not going to win a, another national championship. I think Ed Orgeron felt spectacularly lucky to become a college head coach again even more so to become a head coach at the school he grew up following as a native South Louisianian. And I I think he just felt, why are all these good things happening to me? I I mean, he, he hit the lottery more than once almost. He hit, it's like he hit back to back lotteries. And, you know, after the coaching job, he did at Ole Miss you never would have imagined him resurfacing as surfacing as a head coach. Then he did pretty well as an interim guy at Southern Cal. And he was in the running for that game, but then to get an LSU, the LSU job, and then produce, he gets, he's got to get some of the credit. Uh, one of the greatest teams in college football history in 2019, he's not going to be Nick Saban worried about the next championship. I think when he won that national championship, it's uh, it's all good. It, this never, this, I, I can't believe this has happened to me. You know, we thought like, where in the world is, is Dan Mullen? When's he going to resurface? Is it uh-huh. going to be on television? They need to stick at O on TV. I mean, you might not be able to understand half of what he's saying, but you put him, don't put him in the booth where he's a, a color analyst. Cause again, you're not going to know what he's saying, but stick him on a, on the studio show. Um, shirt optional. And you stick him there in the, in the studio, a pregame show. I think he'd be fantastic. I mean, just, just absolutely great theater. Ed Orgeron is bigger than football. He's a reality show waiting to happen. You know, he goes, 
what are these you know these uh bar rescue shows they they redo the save struggling bars they all these things we've seen struggling restaurants struggling hotels turn ed ed orgeron loose on anything like that so you know somebody's house is a mess send uh-huh. ed orgeron in there a house you flipper know, yeah he comes in yeah start, you, you put a 20 pound sledge in his hand and he's knocking down walls opening up your kitchen ripping off yeah. that countertop putting in some new granite and, and shirt and optional need, in that too yeah you don't need a shirt for that i mean put him in have him heading up a construction crew that's what i'd have ed orgeron do and just show up uh you know, do the uh, Habitat for Humanity thing. Okay, let's go build a let's go build a house. He'll be hands on. He's not going to be barking out commands. He's going to be beating something with a hammer, shirtless. Yeah, I, I wrote last fall that that Edo should should make this interim coach thing permanent. And he just you know whenever a coach is fired in in late October, early November, program needs someone to coach out the string as an interim call up Ed. Oh, he'll, he'll come in and do three games, but I think I may have missed the mark there. I, I think that would be a good role for, for Ogeron, but I think this idea of reality TV superstar is even better. I mean, you just rattled off several. He'd be fantastic in any of those, those roles. I'm, I'm just, I'm enjoying the theater we're getting now where he's just, uh, you know, traveling around, kind of sticking the needle in the side of Brian Kelly. I mean, I, I think that's, you got to appreciate it. I mean, whether you agree or not that, that it's reasonable for Brian Kelly to win in three years, I do think it's a, it's, it's reasonable. Um, I mean, I, I appreciate the, um, <laughs> the, the effort nonetheless that Ogeron's doing here to, to apply some heat on his successor. I think one thing in going after the pursuing the, um, LSU job and leaving Notre Dame that Brian Kelly never thought about was that Ed Orgeron could become a factor in his life. Didn't see that one coming. No. And you know, there are going to be some people in South Louisiana. They're going to think, well, you know, maybe they, maybe they were too quick to get rid of coach. O. and especially if you're seeing him on reality television, he's on your TV all the time. He's right there in front of you. thinking, Knocking hey, maybe. Down. Knocking down an old house. <laughs> Absolutely. Maybe we could do something with your old Honda. You think Edo could get that Honda up and running again? He couldn't get it up and running, but he could finish it off. He could break down the parts real fast, I bet. I could see him I could see him headbutting the hood. Demolition derby driver at Ogeron. Put him in one of those evil Knievel suits, old suits, and just let him come, you know, shoot him out of a cannon or something into a wall. All right, John, I, I, I wish you the best of luck with that Kia Forte, and um, we'll check back in on that old Honda. My email address is the end of my column. Anybody that's interested, you you show up with $3,000 cash, you can, you can take it right, right out of the front yard. All right, there we are, SEC Football Unfiltered, uh, talking ball and selling cars. We'll be back with you next week. Thanks for listening.